and welcome to the Friday, February 18th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, a key Democrat retires from the Iowa legislature, some highlights from Funnel Week at the State House, and the Ashley Hinson Liz Mathis race starts to take shape. <laughs> we want to remind you that support for this podcast is provided by New Pioneer Co op, celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa's source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids, and online through coopcart at newpi.coop. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Aaron. Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And with the Sioux City Journal from, on for our podcast for the first time is Jared McNett. Hello, Jared. As long as I can remember, I uh, always wanted to be an Iowa politics uh, podcaster. <laughs> what? <laughs> we are sought after? Is that right? This is, this is the place where we make dreams come true. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it is. Welcome, Jared. Before we get into it, it's, it's sort of a transitional episode of On Iowa Politics uh, this week. As I just mentioned, Jared McNett is joining us for the first time uh, up in the Sioux City Journal, and we hope that he'll be on um, many times in the future uh, as schedules allow. Um, and on a, a much sadder uh, tone, this may be uh, the last appearance for Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Uh, Tom is moving up the organizational ladder at the uh, Quad City Times, so uh, we congratulate Tom, and and uh, we'll miss him on future podcasts. Thank you. Yay, Tom! But also, boo, come back and see us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've said that this is just another. We need to have a reunion uh, podcast episode sometime oh, yeah. and ha- have all yeah. the people on uh, who have been Absolutely. on the past. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> all right. Let's get to it. First up this week, let's start right in with our newcomer, Jared, who wrote this week about the retirement of Iowa Representative Chris Hall, a Sioux City Democrat. Hall has been uh, uh, the minority House Democrats' top rep on the Budget Committee, and up until not long ago, he was considering a run for governor. Uh, He decided against that, as many others have. Uh, Jared, uh, you reported this week on Representative Hall's decision. What did he say about why he decided to against running for another term in the legislature? Well, uh, that is a good question, uh, Aaron. And a little bit of the answer is uh, TBD. Uh, (laughs) The press release that um, Hall sent out uh, near the start of the week didn't get into a lot of the why beyond just saying it's time to start the next chapter of my life. And he also kind of talked about, too, wanting to keep near to uh, public service. And uh, the latter sentiment is one that he kind of shared with me, too, uh, last week when uh, he talked to me about not running for governor. Um, one thing that I found kind of interesting when I was writing that story from last week is that in the most recent cycle in, uh, in 2020, um, Hall, who actually won with like 95% of the vote in 2018, uh, in 2020, he won 58 to 42 against a guy, uh, Ernest Gigaroa, who wasn't someone that had a lot of name recognition or even kind of local prominence. He was just a vet who got interested in running and he still got uh, over 40% of the vote, which is a number that someone with a stronger, you know, local ID could build on and make competitive. So that might be a piece of this as well. And um, 
with stories like these, I always just kind of think of a, a quote from a journalism professor of mine who said one time that uh, no one ever leaves office just to spend more time with their families. So <laughs> I can't uh, imagine this will necessarily be the last of uh, Chris Hall in some form of uh, politics in the state. Yeah, and that that leaves me perfect because into my next question, I wanted to, and and you touched on, you said you talked to him after his decision not to run for governor either, and and so I'm kind of wondering what's next for him, and and uh, you mentioned that he said he's not done with public service, huh? So that so that's interesting. Yeah, and in that governor story that I wrote last week, kind of circling back to that, uh, two of the things he talked about about not wanting to run was uh, name ID and money. He told me last week he had concerns about those. And then he also said, too, that the the timeline uh, would be one that would make it really difficult for a candidate to enter this late and actually be competitive, um, which is something just more broadly I've been kind of puzzled by, not just with him, but with Democrats in the state, because they don't really seem to want to fully commit to the governor's race. I know you all have talked before about how the party is kind of just letting uh, Deidre Dejir just do everything on her own. And obviously her fundraising numbers have been low and everything like that. So it kind of just seems like they're giving up on the governor's race in some ways. Yeah, that's been, uh, as you said, we've, we've, <laughs> we've puzzled that out on this podcast in recent weeks too, and haven't come up with a, um, a great answer. It's, it's other than that, that just makes you wonder if they've got some kind of internal numbers that show that it's, it's, it's not a, a going to be a close race. It's, it's interesting. I, I want to just toss in here just by happenstance. I, I hap- had a chance to chat real briefly with representative Hall late this week at the Capitol. He swung by the uh, press desk in the one chamber where we're still allowed to sit on the floor. <clears throat> Cough, pause for effect. Uh, and <laughs> and I, I asked, uh, uh, Chris Hall, what's next for him? And he said he genuinely doesn't know. You know, as a reporter, you take that with a grain of salt always. Sometimes they don't know, and sometimes they do, and they just don't want to tell you. He seemed to have a genuine answer there. Um, he said, And he said he'll have, he still has his duties as a legislator, even after session, that takes him through the end of the year. So that uh, gives him, um, I think he called it a ramp, uh, uh, some time to, to, to figure it out and answer that question. Um, but it'll be interesting because he was an important member of the, as I pointed out, as important member of the, the Democratic Party at the state house, and and obviously a guy who's thinking about running for governor. Um, um, you know, has certain aspirations, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what he does moving forward. And if it's anything significant, we'll certainly talk about it on a future episode of the podcast. And now we have our Northwest reporter back to to give us the best insight. So thanks, Yay. Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the Iowa legislature, we head inside uh, the Golden Dome now where it was funnel week this past week, the first legislative deadline designed to weed out some of the bills that don't have a future. That means a flurry of committee work to get bills passed before the clock strikes midnight. In fact, it was such a rough week on Statehouse reporters, our own James Lynch just didn't have enough left in the tank to appear on this weekend's podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. He's 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 in. I'm kidding. He's interviewing the governor on Iowa Press. <laughs> he's no quitter. Uh, Tom, there are a lot of issues that obviously were on the docket this week. You covered a, a a Quad Cities area legislative forum recently, where some of those funnel week topics came up, uh, particularly around school library books and curriculum. That was a um, a hot one. What was that discussion like over in the Quad Cities? 
Yeah, so Scott County Republicans began by um, highlighting a school funding bill that uh, Governor Reynolds signed into law this week that offers a 2.5% increase um, from the current year, resulting in about, I think, $160 million in new money for, for public schools. Um, Iowa, Iowa State Senator uh, Chris Kenoyer, a uh, former Pleasant Valley School Board member who serves uh, as the chair of the um, Education Appropriations Budget Subcommittee in the Iowa Senate, framed it as a significant and responsible funding increase and that year over year um, for roughly a decade, um, lawmakers have increased funding to help ensure that Iowa has a strong public education system. Um, Davenport Democrats, Monica Kurth and Jim Lycom argued that that's not enough when inflation is running at somewhere around seven and a half percent and say that the state, which is sitting on a $1 billion surplus, a $2 billion tax relief fund and nearly $1 billion in cash reserves, um, can afford more, and that the state's per pupil funding is below the national average. Um, they noted that Democrats attempted to amend the bill to raise per pupil funding by five percent, arguing that again schools have been uh, uh, underfunded for um, for over a, a decade, um, but that Republicans voted down the amendments. Um, a Davenport uh, parent who attended the forum um, agreed with, with Democrats cited with, with, with Kurt and like um, you know, feeling that a two and a half percent increase is, is not enough. And then she turned, um, the focus to legislation over school library books and curriculums, wishing that, uh, Republican state lawmakers would quote, spend their time, energy, and money in Iowa on doing things that would help K-12 schools, uh, end quote, rather than advancing bills focused on restricting books, materials, curriculum that, um, schools and educators uh, distribute that parents deem obscene. Um, she noted she's a mother of five and said that her oldest was studying to be a teacher um, and then um, asked whether lawmakers will support demoralized and burnout teachers, uh, quote, instead of maybe making their life a little harder. Um, and Conoyer, uh, uh, a Republican from LeClaire, responded that, Teachers are doing amazing work across the state, but then went on to say that um, the books that are being discussed have content in them that are um, what she termed to be extremely sexually explicit and said that, you know, we're not talking about banning Tom Sawyer or Uncle Huckleberry Finn or To Kill a Mockingbird, um, but that we're talking about, again, books that contain sexually explicit content and said that uh, didn't see how that's relevant or appropriate for uh, K-12 public schools and libraries. Um, you know, we should note that I guess some of the books that have been cited by parents and lawmakers contain isolated passages that describe or draw images that show sexual acts, but contain larger themes that have, you know, little or nothing to do with the passages and, you know, generally uh, revolved around books that feature LGBT uh, characters or involve non-white characters or authors, you know, Democrats argue that, you know, the materials are, are used to teach students about inclusion and to promote diversity and help students to identify and learn from societal failings to meet the nation's obligations to protect the constitutional and, and human rights of, of all uh, citizens and residents. Um, and then uh, this week, uh, our education reporter, Anthony Watt, reached out to local school districts um, to, to talk about the bills and get their reaction. And, and both um, Pleasant Valley and North Scott school districts noted that districts already have mechanisms in place that allow members of the public to review curriculum and materials and challenge them. Uh, 
the the shape of those mechanisms varies. Um, for instance, I think at North Scott, high school material and library offerings are available for review online, at least to, to, to families within the district. Um, uh, that may not be the case for younger grades, but, you know, again, the district communicates curriculum content to families and sends out notices if it's uh, material parents, you know, might want to exclude their students from, and they still, they still have that choice. They still have that, that opportunity. Um, and then um, the local teachers union also weighed in again, reiterating that these uh, proposals are not, um, are not necessary because again parents have always had the ability to review question challenge material and worry that these republican bills will negatively impact teacher morale recruitment retention and uh, and and kind of have this feeling that much of this legislative effort surrounding these so-called school transparency bills are being used by republicans as you know red meat to to gin up their conservative base in an election year and that teachers administrators and librarians should be trusted to do their jobs that um as i hear that tom the, the quote from cornorier is really interesting to me that um we're not it's not like we're trying to ban uh huck finn and tom sawyer I, I can't help but wonder back when people were trying to ban huck finn and tom sawyer what book they've referred to and said well hey it's not like we're trying to get rid of books xyz we're just trying to get rid of this Dirty Tom. <laughs> right. Well, and, 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 and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. I mean, hasn't there been a story um, nationally about um, a district in Indiana wanting to ban, is it, is it To Kill a Mockingbird? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, Tom, I, uh, I had a question about this. Um, I was wondering, just even in your neck of the woods, is there like a specific case of a specific kid that legislators can actually point to where someone was just like irreparably scandalized by a book they came across in a library? That is a great question. And the answer is, is no. I mean, as, as, as far as I'm aware from talking to um, our education reporter who goes to these school board meetings and, and, you know, also reaching out and asking district officials, you know, no one could, could really cite a recent example where, parents, you know, have, have challenged a, a library book or, or, you know, school materials curriculum that they uh, find to be um, offensive. Um, it, it seems, and Aaron, you've covered this pretty, pretty closely as well, um, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, but it seems like a lot of this discussion is kind of concentrated in um, the suburban areas uh, around Des Moines uh, in the Johnson School District and the Ankeny School District. Yeah, I, that, that's right. And, and I don't know if, um, and I'll say in, in fairness, I don't know if that's just because that's the, the proximity. So that's where the people are coming from because they can get to the capital easier. And so that's just where we're mostly hearing it from. Uh, we've heard about challenges and issues from parents in Johnson, Waukee, um, it's been an issue in Ankeny. Those folks haven't come to the Capitol yet. Um, so I don't know if it's just because those folks, it's easier for them to get to the Capitol and, or, if, or if it's not. The one thing I will say to Jared's question, <laughs> um, um, yes, there has been an example brought up at the State House, but I don't know how much it actually relates. Um, and we've actually talked about, I believe this gentleman uh, uh, testified on a, a previous bill uh, uh, the, the school choice bill and talked about this. There's a young lady and look in, 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 in all seriousness, this is an awful story. 
um, a young lady, a, a student at Johnston High School, um, says that a, a boy was sitting next to her in class and put his hands down his pant in his pants and and masturbated right in the middle of class and and then took his hand out and did something disgusting. So that's an awful, awful, awful thing. But I'm not quite sure how that connects with uh, books in the library uh, exactly. Um, there is no clearly <laughs> direct connection. What I think the missing link is, and some people did allude to it um, at the at the subcommittee, one of the subcommittee hearings I tested on is, and, and some people are kind of steering clear from this allegation, but there were one or two who leaned into it, is that um, that kind of thing, the two are related because having these kinds of books in schools is leading to the, you know, the, whatever the verb is, the downfall of society and, and, and kids are just a mess down because these books exist and because they're available in skills. Now we have kids masturbating under their uh, table in class. Um, I, I, I would sure love to see the scientific evidence um, on that. And I will say, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity since this got pointed out, <laughs> I can't help myself. Senators Brad Zahn uh, from Urbandale um, was critical of the media uh, coverage of that subcommittee because uh, we didn't mention that young girl's stories. I didn't mention it in my coverage for the exact reason um, I just stated. I'm not sure what it has to have do with books, and you'd have to show me how it connects before I'm going to put that in the story. Um, it's just unfortunate, again, that I didn't get a chance to talk to Senator Zahn about that directly on the floor of the Senate chamber. <clears throat> Cough, pause for effect. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to throw like five more of those in every podcast. <laughs> yeah, I really would have uh, loved to talk to them on the floor. but uh... Right, right. Gee, why weren't we able to do that? Um, Tom, uh, before yeah. I move on here, uh, we had another big uh, bill that came up this week. Um, your guy in the Quad Cities, Senator Robbie Smith, unveiled his latest elections bill. And I got to say, having covered the political debate after previous Robbie Smith elections bills, I was gobsmacked by how tame the debate was this time around. I, I, I almost tweeted out if, if Robbie Smith introduced an elections bill and the Capitol didn't immediately set a flame, did he really introduce an elections bill? Um, uh, so, so this, I got to Tom, is Robbie getting soft on us? Is he, is he easing into his campaign for state treasurer here and not want to ruffle as many feathers i mean there was borderline bipartisan support for this thing which is just amazing to say out loud <laughs> i know um I, I don't think so i mean I, I think that this is more of a of a cleanup bill as republicans in past years have already passed numerous election reform measures in recent years making changes to iowa law that you know they argue strengthen election security democrats contend make it more difficult for, for Iowans to vote. Um, so, I mean, they've already passed all the major election reforms they sought to pass, uh, notably the 2017 voter ID law. And then you had last year's um, sweeping elections bill, which among other things, reduced the amount of time uh, voters can can cast a, a ballot by mail and placed um, other constraints on, on early voting. Um, you know, they've, they've had, they've, they've passed other measures, you know, um, that have kind of, um, sought to, to restrict um, voting by mail. So, you know, the question, you know, really is one of, well, well, what's left? You know, what more is there for Republicans to, to do on, on that front? Um, 
the biggest piece of the bill, um, in, I guess in my mind, would streamline Iowa's recount procedures in response to issues that arose in the exceptionally close uh, 2020 election in Eastern Iowa's second congressional district. Where, Gee, Tom, uh, why would that be the most uh, noteworthy uh, portion to yeah. you? Not like, yeah, it's not like it's not like I covered that for for what feels like an eternity. Um, <laughs> And and so so again to to refresh people's minds, uh, Republican <laughs> Republican Marionette Miller Meeks uh, was declared the the winner by uh, six votes out of nearly four hundred thousand cast following a district wide uh, recount. Excuse me, I can't talk today. District wide <laughs> recount that was marred by uh, errors, discrepancies, and inconsistencies in how it's in how ballots were examined from county to county. Um, Republican lawmakers uh, last year chose not to address those issues while Democrat Rita Hart challenged the results before the democratically controlled U.S. House, preferring to wait on the outcome of the U.S. House review um, of the election results and instead um, focus on passing their larger um, election reform bill that I just mentioned. Uh, the Hart campaign eventually dropped um, uh, the challenge before the U.S. House. And so now Republican lawmakers are going back to um, provide some uniformity in Iowa's recount procedures and address some of those issues ahead of um, the, the um, uh, elections this fall with proposals that, you know, generally seem to be supported by Democrats and county election officials. Um, you know, under the legislation, candidates would no longer be able to request recounts of specific precincts. Instead, um, if they want to recount, they would have to ask for the entire county to be recounted. Um, Wilton Republican Bobby Kaufman, who um, introduced a companion bill or identical legislation in the House, said that that provision is intended to avoid situations where candidates can request recounts only in precincts that they think will yield them a, additional votes and, you know, essentially trying to, to, to cherry pick votes. Um, the, the bill would also require candidates to choose whether they want only a machine recount or a machine recount followed by a hand recount, and that asking for a hand recount in one county would require recounts to be conducted using the same process in, in every county where, where they're asking for a recount. And so again, proponents say that this will provide consistency compared to, to current law, which provides broad discretion to recount boards to decide the mechanics of a recount. Some counties did so in the in the second uh, congressional district recount, some counties did complete hand recounts, some did complete machine recounts, and some, including Scott County, did kind of a hybrid version of both. Um, and then the size of recount boards would also change. Um, currently, every county has a three-member board consisting of one Democrat, one Republican, and then a third member selected by uh, the chief judge for that judicial district where the recount is taking place, it would change that number depending on population, raising it to a five or seven member board relative to population. Um, and then the last um, piece um, is that, uh, you know, the proposed bill also bans Iowa election of uh, uh, officials from accepting donations or grants from private businesses or groups that fund election um, operation um, improvements or upgrades. So during the 2020 election cycle, some Iowa counties accepted grants from the Center for Tech and Civic Life, um, nonprofit whose goal is to modernize U.S. elections and, and help 
um, local election officials uh, address costs during um, the the COVID-19 pandemic. That organization was funded by um, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. And um, in the fall of, of 22, the Iowa Voter Alliance sued Scott and Black Hat counties after those auditors accepted um, grant money from the center. Um, a federal judge rejected that lawsuit. It'll be interesting to see as that one moves forward, if that, uh, like I said, um, you actually had Democrats uh, kind of saying, hey, that this sound, most of this sounds good. Like you said, they took the recount language from, you know, they got input on that. They, they didn't just draw up the Republican plan. Right, right. That that largely came from recommendations from um, the, uh, the the state association representing um, county auditors mm-hmm. um, and um, and. Um, Mary Wolf, a Democrat of the uh, subcommittee from from Clinton, um, who was Rita Hart's designee on the Clinton County um, Recount Board, um, I believe during that that uh, subcommittee hearing subcommittee hearing, you know, said that um, you know she was willing to work with Republicans on on that recount yeah. provision, and, and seemed like they were generally kind of on board. Yeah, I should say, and I I, I wish. I, I, I should have looked uh, asked around before I came on, but I can't help it even passing on without the context. So this one went to committee and, um, and I didn't cover it cause James Lynch was covering it for us. But I heard from colleagues um, that during that committee, uh, Bruce Hunter representative, Bruce Hunters, who's a liberal lion from Des Moines uh, suggested that uh, Republicans needed to grow a pair um, which was just fantastic to hear uh, in a, <laughs> legislative committee hearing and i said I, like i said i wish i had the context i don't know what he was talking about but it was still too good was he uh, was he talking about was it like a bartlett or a danju pair yes or a, it could have something been like perfectly that? innocuous I'm sure, Aaron. I'm sure that's what it was <laughs> he's just fair. worried sure about their get, if they're getting enough fiber i mean it's just <laughs> it's a real real good guy <laughs> and tom tom i hope someday that you find yourself on Jeopardy, and the final Jeopardy category is the second congressional district recount. Because then, because then it will be Golden. all all of that will you'll get payback finally. It will have been worth it finally. <laughs> uh, uh, before we move on from Funnel Week, uh, Todd, I wanted to ask you that there was some interesting. Um, uh, there was an interesting funnel week battleground on Iowa's farmland. Some some interesting bills that uh, were considered. One uh, that did survive the funnel uh, would make it harder to donate donate land. Uh, very interesting one. Um, another bill that survived would restrict the placement of solar panels on farmland. And uh, finally, one that didn't survive. Uh, would have significantly restricted the use of eminent domain, uh, which is, uh, for those uh, who don't follow closely, that's uh, when the government claims private land uh, to be used for private business projects, usually pipelines. Um, You know, you you take over, require a a landowner to allow a a pipeline to run through their uh, property. Um, Kind of interesting when taken as a whole there, Todd, and yeah. and maybe not a great group for private landowner rights. I don't know what, well, what do you make of those three? Yeah, it's 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 too bad that we're only audio only because this would be a great time for a flow chart. But uh, <laughs> one, one, one exactly right. 
One, one, the second bill you mentioned is actually one correction. It's, it's not about donating land. It's about if you sell land, if you want to sell your land to the DNR or the I'm County sorry, Conservation Commission, basically the bill bars those entities from paying you market value. If you're selling them timber, they'll pay you 80% all the way down to like only 50% for like some sort of prime farmland. The argument for the bill by the Republicans who support it is that, you know, uh, that, that there are these public entities are are buying land that you know sh- that farmers want to buy, and they're deep pocketed, and so they're and they talk about you know young farmers. They don't talk about someone that already owns three thousand acres and wants to own you know a couple a few hundred more. Uh, but so that's so they would basically penalize you in some way for selling your land for a conservation purpose. Uh, similar, the solar bill. Uh, they, they have some sort of evaluation technique for determining whether how productive a piece of farmland is. And if it's above a certain point, you would be prohibited from selling that land for a, a solar installation. In order uh, to keep that prime land. In, right. So in the, yeah. the flowchart, you know, if are you selling to the state? Yes, you get no market value. Are you selling to a farmer? You get anything you want. Are you selling it for solar? Yes. Is it good farmland? Yes. <laughs> then you can't sell it for that. But if the Summit Pipeline comes along and wants to just take your land for a, the liquid pipe sequest- carbon sequestration 2,000-mile pipeline that will benefit the ethanol industry, uh, yeah, they can. I mean, there, there's the bill that would have stopped them for doing that is is dead. So, and, and what symbol does that make on the flowchart? Uh, that, that there's a, there's a line off there. It's like, are you a family of Tom Vilsack? Were you a former governor? Are you a, are you a former chief of staff to the governor? If so, then take the land. That, um, but, that part of the flow chart is like the, uh, the episode of the Simpsons, uh, where, uh, the music man type guy has a chart that just says me and then money, and he's just holding the bags of money, and that's the whole flow chart. Exactly. That is exactly right. I mean, and then these lawmakers, you know, they're talking about one of the lawmakers in the subcommittee on the bill that would penalize you for selling to the state or the county uh, talked about that we need to find, you know, we need to strike a balance between agricultural interests and conservation, which I was at home, so I could laugh really loud at that, considering that we've got 30 million acres of cropland in a 36 million acre state, and you could fit the public lands probably in a big shoebox. So the idea that that there's this, that there's this, you know, the conservation land and public land is, is uh, you know, taking up the prime farmland in Iowa is not true. Actually, I mean, I've seen more farmland gobbled up by you know, suburban sprawl than by yeah, conservation that's what it projects. Is. And you see that more in the county level. Yeah. And, that, and the bill makes more of just people wanting to build on their own land and, and other farmers sort of being upset by that. Then you really do this other thing. Yeah. And the bill doesn't address any of that because as you know, close behind farmers are, you know, developers are, are fairly popular among the Republican caucus. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where these go. I, 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 you know, I think the I think the one penalizing you for selling for conservation has the best chance of passage. I don't know about the solar one exactly. It's been a little lower profile, but uh, yeah, it's a it, it it certainly sets up a curious set of uh, property rights for the party that's been traditionally known as the party of property rights. Yeah, and and the, like we said, the eminent domain one is 
is technically dead. It didn't pass the funnel. Um, now, as we always say, there's any time a, a leader really wants a bill to come back, they can. There are any number of different ways they can. But even the leaders don't sound uh, too interested in bringing that one back up. So so uh, out of the three, that one sounds like it's for sure dead. Yeah, just like a, that was a great conversation, Doug, because I thought that was such an interesting package of bills there that <laughs> we heard on. Finally this week, uh, we get out to Eastern Iowa where the new 2nd Congressional District race is starting to warm up a bit, unlike the February temperatures. Although, as I say that, we're recording on Friday and it's supposed to be in the 50s here in Des Moines. So, uh, not Yeah, here too on Sunday. Oh. Um, now I lost my place. Uh, so, here we go. <laughs> if you can't tell your Congressional Districts without a scorecard after redistricting, this is the one between two former KCRG TV journalists. That's right. Ashley, Hin- Ashley Hinson and Liz Mathis. Uh, Amy, you dipped your toes into this race a little bit here. Uh, you covered a recent Hinson town hall meeting in the Cedar Valley. Uh, how did that go? How, how are those town halls going for Ashley Hinson these days? The Battle of the Network All-Stars. Yes, I love this race <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, it's really interesting because it's two um, people that a lot of voters know know a lot about or think they know a lot about we all think we know our tv anchors pretty well but you know that's a whole different issue but yeah i mean when she comes to blackhawk county that's it's one of the few counties you know in the current first district that is um incredibly blue you know democrats outnumber republicans almost a two to one or more um in some areas so yeah she's got a little pushback um but she did get some friendly faces there so she was able to sort of take a wide variety of questions and to her credit she was calling on pretty much half and half um i don't know if she necessarily knew everybody but she did seem to know some of the republicans in the crowd um so she she was taking questions from all sides so she got some pointed questions on um one of the interesting ones was on teachers so she was sort of asked you know by a, a, a more maybe more liberal questioner about, um, you know, wearing a mask that um, had said last year, um, and the Gazette covered this a little bit, that had said, uh, trust science, not the teachers unions. And this teacher took a little bit of offense to that, you know, saying, you know, I worked for a teachers union my whole life, they gave me benefits. And, and, you know, how could you do this? It seems really divisive. And so, you know, she's, she's answering it in, in the roundabout way of why she, she wore the, the mask. Um, she was trying to make sure that other schools stayed open, obviously, Iowa did stay open um, at that time. Um, but then another question or a more friendly one um, was was saying, you know, I appreciate your votes there, but let me tell you, teachers really do have it hard in this state and, and they are under the gun and they are really feeling the pressure. Um, you know, what can you do, you know, at the federal level? And and it's really sort of, I think um, she, she then, you know, was able to like soften a little bit more and, and it was very much like my mom was a teacher you know, I, I want to support teachers. I, I also want to support um, families. I want I want to support the mental health of the students um, as well as um, making sure that parents aren't scrambling all the time trying to figure out how to get their kids in school. And so obviously Ashley's got two kids of her own um, that are at school age. So so she kind of is aware of this problem. So it was it was interesting. You know, she's able to to hold her own for the most part in a, in a town hall and, and isn't really surprised by any of these questions. Um, and she's always able to sort of point to you know, bills that she's either co-sponsored or, or had on. So she's, she's definitely, she's definitely got, um, you know, an uphill battle in, in Blackhawk County in general. Um, but does that change the race at all in the new second district remains to be seen. I think it'll still be a very close race. Uh, before I get my next question, I, I got to react to something you said there. 
about her having a, did you say it was her, a teacher in the family? And I forget what you her said. Her mother taught at, mother. I think she said Newton High School. Okay. So Iowa teachers, as a general profession, must, I don't know what it is, if it's just because of the size of the workforce, but as these issues are discussed and debated at the Capitol and among logmakers, everybody I hear from as a teacher in the family, my, my sister's a teacher. The, go, the governor says it every time. My daughter's a public school teacher. Um, who was it? That Brad's on this week. My wife is a former. Everybody's got a teacher in the family. Everybody. It, it, it yep. turns out. My mom so. was a community college uh, teacher, actually. I have a cousin well, who teaches and, in one of the high schools. We've all got them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my <laughs> dad was right. a teacher. So as I sit here, I mean, yeah. it applies to me, too. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, so on the other side of that race, uh, Amy, you also recently interviewed uh, Liz Mathis, the Democratic state senator. Uh, how's she feeling about the campaign in these early stages? She, um, I talked to her at the Blackout County Caucus. She came up um, last week for that and was in Waterloo speaking in person to people um, and really trying to rile them up. She said the, the new second district, I haven't been able to verify this. She said the new second district has 18,000 more Democrats than Republicans. So she's she's feeling initially good about um, the race, assuming you can get those Democrats out to the polls. Right. Um, apparently, she was asked to run for governor and turned it down also. Um, so that was interesting. She said, I'm going to try to quote her a little bit. She said, um, I looked at the race and thought, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that and thought that she'd be playing to her best hand um, instead moving from um, state government to um, federal congressional district. So, so she's been asked a bunch of times. She said she's finally decided that it was time. Um, she said after she saw Hanson's vote um, against the committee that's investigating the, the January sixth insurgency. Um, she said that really hit the nail on the head for me. Um, that was the move, and I just thought no more excuses. I don't want my congressional rep voting this way. I don't want her to vote this way for anybody else. So it's time to step up. So that was really the key for her to step up. So I would expect her to keep hammering that as we go on, um, especially if you keep getting more uh, revelations about and from the January 6th committee. Um, that could really be um, red meat for her going into the campaign. Yeah. And so I looked it up quick. Now, um, how, how much what did she say was the difference in voter? Democrats do have an advantage. What did she, What's the advantage? What did she say she said? Um, so this is from right after redistricting that I recorded this. And so this isn't the most updated voter registration numbers. These would be from um, October. These would be October's numbers. Um, and it's about a 10,000. Well, no, that's that's too big a number. Uh, God, you're asking a journalist to do math on the spot. <laughs> uh, about four to five thousand. And that's registered. And voters. that's active registered Democrats versus so Republicans. Quite a bit, quite a bit lower. Said. So yeah, send me that link. I'll, I'll in my Mathis story this weekend. I'll correct the record. Yeah. Well, and like I said, these are old. I'll have to go find the more updated numbers. Too, oh yeah, sure. Then. But regardless, the point stands that it, the Democrats do have an, an advantage, and of course, no party is a huge uh, portion of it too. And that's you know that's where the swing happens. So it's at this point, it's just can Mathis inspire that enthusiasm? among that advantage. Right. Yep. Because clearly yep. Hinson's able to. All right. Well, and we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll talk about that on future episodes of On Iowa Politics. That's it for this edition. 
Uh, Jared made a Simpsons reference, so he is automatically invited back. Well done. Yes, great. <laughs> if you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. And you can send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And as a reminder, you can stay up to date on our team's coverage of the Iowa legislature by subscribing to the Capital Digest newsletter. Just go to the Iowa legislature tab at gazette.com. Thegazette.com. Gazette.com is the one out in Colorado, I think. And, <laughs> and we're, we're the Gazette.com. The so Gazette. if you find yourself in the Colorado newspaper, you're at the wrong Gazette. <laughs> and don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Career, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and that aforementioned Cedar Rapids Gazette. McFisto is playing us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For our producer, Stephen, Amy, Todd, our new guy, Jared, and for the last time, sad face, sad face, tear, tear, Tom Barton. I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.